preach. I, I was like, oh, maybe I'll talk about evangelism. And so a passage that a lot of us are familiar with, um, if we've been in the church for any length of time, when we think about evangelism, we do think about the Great Commission. But we also think about this passage in First Peter. Um, and this is what it says. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. You know, and it's interesting in this passage, I was like, oh, I really want to speak on this. And and I was getting excited. But it's interesting because in the Great Commission, we kind of look at evangelism and it's almost like a, a command or an imperative. Go and make disciples. Whereas with this, it almost seems interesting because the imperative or the command seems to almost be, you know, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and be prepared to give an answer. It almost seems like evangelism is a byproduct of something. And so what's it a byproduct of? You know, um, it's a like evangelism is a byproduct because people actually want to ask about your hope. And so um, they ask you, why are you living differently? And, and why would they actually ask that? It's because you're living a holy life. You're living an upright life. And where does holy living come from? Holy living comes from that first part in that passage where it says set apart Christ as Lord. Because Christ is not just another name for Jesus. Christ actually is a title which means pa- or master. Where it's like, set apart Jesus as your master in your heart. So the seed of your emotions, will, desire, everything that entails you, instead of you directing and dictating your life, what he's saying is, hey, replace yourself on the throne of your life and put Jesus as the master of your life to direct and dictate what you're going to do. And from that, you'll live a holy life. And from that, people will be curious and start to ask about your hope. So this is kind of just foundational, but it causes curiosity, you know, and um, as I was prepping this, this is just like this passage. But as you start to read the context, I went on a journey this week as I was prepping that I actually wasn't expecting to go on. I discovered stuff that I didn't expect to discover, and it's not at all what I wanted to speak on. <laughs> But God all of a sudden started to reveal this stuff. Listen to the context of, of this passage, um, starting in verse 13 in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Or do not fear them. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior may be, uh, may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I don't know if you caught that. But there's a little theme surrounding that, that verse 15. And it's this theme of suffering. And it's not just here, but I'd encourage you this week, read through First Peter, read through Hebrews, and it's blatant. It like jumps off, and I'm like, how have I missed this? Like, I've known it's there, but I didn't recognize how, how blatant it is in this book. 
And so today I actually want to talk about suffering, you know, and it surprised me in light of some different things. You know, apologetics, it's not saying sorry for being a Christian, but apologia, that's the Greek word that literally means have a defense. And that's the same word in verse 15. Be ready to have a defense for the re- or have a reason for the hope that you have, a reasonable defense. Why do we believe in Jesus? But And I've been listening to a whole bunch of different apologetics lectures and um, podcasts and different stuff because I want to be prepared. And I've told my young adults, I'm like, I haven't done a good job of being prepared sometimes. You know, and so I've been diving in and there's the big, one of the biggest questions that comes out in apologetics or philosophy is the idea of God's sovereignty and goodness, but so much suffering in the world. And we, we wrestle to, um, to put these two things together. How can God be good when we suffer? Right? And you know, it's not just a theological or a philosophical debate, but it's something that hits close to home. When we're suffering, or when our kid is suffering, or when our spouse is suffering, and we wrestle with it, and we say, God, where are you? And I I discover this this week in light of some of these things that I've been learning and and actual conversations with dear friends who are wrestling with this, saying, I think Jesus is good, but man, I'm really wrestling with his sovereignty in the midst of the suffering. And sometimes in some of those conversations, I haven't had a good defense, and I haven't offered maybe the hope that I should have. And so today, I want to look briefly at some reasons why we suffer. I want to look at some of the emotions that we experience in suffering. But then I want to end with the fact that God has come to give us a fresh perspective or new perspectives in the midst of suffering that allow us to respond differently than maybe the world would. Because let's face it, we will all suffer. There's different kinds of suffering. There's physical pain. There's mental pain. There's relational pain and strife and suffering. There's so much that we go through in this life, and we'll never understand all aspects of it. But let's face it, we'll all all go through it. And so some of the reasons for suffering, this is just kind of a list to begin with. The first one is that literally sometimes we suffer because of our own choices, our own personal sin and consequences that we have to live through. You know, um, this, this is like... Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. We recognize that, you know, if we neglect our marriage, maybe we're now living with the fallout, but it doesn't make it feel better. You know, maybe our kids have uh, have not um, continued to make good choices or make church a priority because we didn't make church a priority. And now we're living in that state and we're aching for our kids and their bad choices. Or maybe maybe there's other aspects where it's like, you know, I wanted to look cool way back and I took that first drag or that first hit in that drink and, and now the addiction feels overwhelming. You know, there's, there's situations where literally we suffer because of our own choices and we live in those consequences. Now, this does not mean that God is not good and cannot redeem those situations. God is good. And when we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. You know, he is a redeeming God. He's a reconciling God. But sometimes there's still consequences that we live in. Sometimes there's still suffering just because of the natural order of things, right? And so this is just one thing, one reason why we might suffer in this life. It's self-induced 
but God can redeem and God can restore in that and give hope. You know, another reason why we might suffer is literally for being a Christian. Persecution for being a follower of Jesus. Listen to what Peter writes in chapter 4. He says, but rejoice. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Wait, what? (laughs) We don't like to hear this in our culture, right? Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Wow. Peter's saying, you know, like if you suffer for bearing the name of Jesus, you're blessed and rejoice in that. And we're like, wait, what? What are you saying? This doesn't hit us in the same way that it would have hit the early church. You know, Peter's writing this probably the early 60s AD, during the time of Nero. And it doesn't seem like um, the great persecution has broke out yet, but there's persecution, there's social persecution and, and physical, uh, physical persecution upon Christians just for being a follower of Jesus because they weren't indulging in the same acts or the cult worship or emperor worship or all of these different things. And so there was a lot of persecution for being a Christian. And this would have hit straight to home. But it's interesting. We read in history from Tacitus. He's a historian back in the early times. And he says that Nero actually started a fire in Rome and blamed the Christians. And Nero did it because he wanted to build a greater greater city. But he blamed the Christians. This was around 64, 65 A.D. And incredibly hard persecution broke out against the Christians after that. That's when we see um, in history that Christians were being thrown into the amphitheater and, and they were being destroyed and ripped apart by wild beasts, gladiators, that kind of idea. Actually, it says that Christians were burned alive as human torches to light the city. Incredible persecution broke out. 65 AD. Seems like Peter was actually writing prophetically to prepare the Christians. And Peter put his money where his mouth was because in 67 AD, he was martyred under the, under the reign of Nero. He died for being a Christian. This wasn't just pie in the sky stuff. This was deep within him, anchoring him. You know, this doesn't make sense to us though. In the same way, you know, it's, it's interesting. One author said this, as I was reading about this. He said, throughout the centuries, Christians have often viewed suffering through the lens of their own historical contexts. Early Christian literature regarding martyrs frequently portrayed suffering through the lens of the imitation of Christ. By the Middle Ages, the tendency to insist upon temporal punishment for personal sins led to a complex system of prescribed penances for for specific sins. And then liberation theologians have sought a theological praxis to alleviate human suffering, especially economic disadvantage. But with the rise of Western affluence, comfort, and modern medicine, many Christians tend to view pain-free and suffering-free living as a divine right or promise. I would fall into that. But what I read in Scripture is something very different. Because it actually says you will suffer. 
and rejoice in it when you suffer persecution for the name of Jesus. You know, this is, this is kind of crazy. Like, you think about it. I think for high school students, it'd be easier to say that you're not a Christian today because of the ridicule that they get from their friends. It would be easier as a college student to say, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe in God, when their profs are making fun of them and ridiculing them for being a Christian. You know, it'd be like you think about some of our bosses who are anti-Christian, and you might suffer economically because of being a Christian. And Peter says, you're blessed. Rejoice in it. And you know, maybe this is actually prophetic and, and... speaks to us in our day and age more than ever before, because who knows where our government is going. We might be in days soon to come where there's persecution against Christians for being a Christian. How are we going to respond? And we'll get there. But that's just one another reason why we might suffer. One is because our personal sin and consequences of that. You know, another is for being a Christian, literally. Another one might be for discipline, for our own good. And sometimes this is where it's hard too. It's like, how can God be good but discipline us? But listen to what Hebrews says. It says, and you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces righteousness, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, it doesn't feel good. It's not like, ooh, this is warm, fuzzy feeling. No, it actually hurts, but it's for our good. If you're a good parent, you want to discipline your kids so that they can actually live a a good life with parameters and discipline and, you know, different things like that. But it's scary because we actually live in a culture where we don't believe in disciplining kids anymore. We can't say no to them. That might ruin them psychologically in their development, right? This is what we're taught. And as Trevor and I are preparing to be parents, we're like, Lord, how are we going to discipline? Because here's the thing. If we don't discipline our kids, how are they ever? going to respond to God's discipline. They're going to say, and this is what we're seeing in our culture, they're going to say, God is not good. God is unjust. But have we disciplined our kids? Good parents discipline their kids. That's what I'm seeing. And God's a good dad. Does it feel good? No. But is it for our good? Yeah, definitely. You know, this is just another reason why we might. But this last one, and this isn't exhaustive, but it's just some reasons why. But this last one is the hard one that we really wrestle with in our culture. And it's because we live in a fallen and broken world. And so sometimes we might suffer because we're a victim of somebody else's sinful desires. 
And that's a hard one. Because you look at genocide, neglected children, rape victims, and it's just not, it's not okay. And I'm just saying this is literally why, why sometimes we suffer is because of other people's choices who exert their wills over top of us. And Pastor Paul has spoken on it so much is that we don't have to be, live as victims. You know, that's the beautiful thing that God actually comes in and he wants to give us freedom and hope in the midst of our suffering and raise us up so that that person or those things no longer have control over us, but we can rise above it and no longer be a victim, but be a victor, right? And so I'm not saying like, you know, I want to address the emotions because the emotions are real. And I don't want to belittle them. I don't want to minimize them. I'm just stating this is one of the reasons why we suffer, because of other people's choices. But this last part of living in a fallen and broken world, you know, it's physical pain or emotional pain for seemingly no reason. And this is the one that we really wrestle with, because at least when we're in a victim state or we look at situations like that, at least we can blame the perpetrator, because we always want to blame somebody. But when we are diagnosed or the people that we love are diagnosed with an illness that that causes great pain and suffering, we want to blame somebody. And usually we end up blaming God and we say, God, where are you? I thought you were good. I thought you were sovereign. I thought you were all-powerful, omnipotent. And this happens because the emotions are real in in those circumstances. And you know Yes, we can answer it intellectually and coldly and say, well, we live in a fallen and broken world where sin has actually marred every aspect of our life and the effects of sin, which are death and suffering and pain, will affect all of us. We will all face death. But it doesn't help take away the pain or the anger in the moment because it still hurts. We're still suffering. We wonder, God, where are you? So I want to address some of the emotions that we feel when suffering comes. And the first is that emotions are not evil. God actually created emotions. They're natural responses to to circumstances that we face. They're, They're a response to it. And God even has emotions. He gets angry at injustice. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He gets sad when his people are in so much suffering. You know, this is who, like, emotions are not evil, but it's what we do with them. You know, if we stay there, they become self-destructive. If we stay in anger, if we stay in grief, if we stay in sorrow, and I'm not saying that grief is even bad, like, it's a process, but that's what I want to say, is feel your emotions. Don't suppress them. We have to feel them. We have to identify them. I'm horrible at identifying what I'm feeling. It's like I can see what other people are feeling, but I myself can't identify what I feel sometimes. I need to take a step back and say, God, what's even going on inside of me? You know, take, like, process them then. And take them to God and say, God, what do I even do with this? I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. I'm bitter. I'm, I'm, I'm just sorrowful. I'm full of grief. This person hurt me so badly. But bring them to God. Bring those emotions to God and allow him to start to speak to you and how to navigate them. 
how to process them. You know, the reality is, is that many of you are probably facing some incredible pain or suffering, either right now or have in the past, that you're still maybe wrestling through. And it's not an easy process. I'm not saying that it's a boom, you take it to God and you're good. No, it's a day in and a day out thing with your emotions. But bringing them before the Father. And I just want to say, you know, some of you might sit here, even when I go into the new perspectives that God wants to give us, and you might start to feel anger towards what I'm saying. Some of you might want to dismiss what I say because you could look at me and say, what kind of suffering have you ever gone through? And in a sense, you're right. I probably haven't gone through most of the situations that you yourselves are facing or have faced. And the same is true for me. There's a lot of situations, there are deep seasons of sorrow that I've not told anybody about that I've had to process with God. We all face different suffering. But I guess what I want to say is if you start to feel angry or want to dismiss what I say, bring that before God and ask him why. Why am I angry about what she's saying? You know, why do I want to dismiss this? You know, I just encourage you, keep an open heart. (laughs) And let's see what maybe some of these fresh perspectives are that the Holy Spirit actually wants to produce in us so that we can respond differently in the midst of our suffering. And so what are some of those perspectives? What are some of those responses in the midst of suffering that God actually wants to bring into our lives so that we can respond differently? And first, it, it might be that we suffer and it's going to produce growth and maturity. Listen to what Peter says in, first, um, in his first chapter. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which, is, uh, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We rejoice. Why? Because our faith is actually being made new. It's being refined, and it's going to be genuine and pure at the end. You know, and Peter's not the only one to write this. Look at what James says in James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You know, and and Paul says the same thing in Romans. He says in Romans 5, you know, rejoice when you go through suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. You know, we can have a perspective. And is it easy to get here? No. It takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, come give me a fresh perspective and help me to keep my eyes above my circumstances to see maybe you're actually developing character in me. You're actually growing me and maturing me as a Christian. You know, it's this hope, you know, it's funny, actually, I tree planted and I hated tree planting. It was horrible. Um, Some people love it. I didn't. And so um, I remember some people saying, oh, tree planting, that's a real character developing uh, job. And I I thought about it about halfway through and I realized, no, tree planting does not develop character. It reveals your character. And then you have a decision to make what you're going to do. You know, like, because halfway through the season, I was a horrible person. And I was like, whoa, I don't like what's coming out of me. And so I had a choice. It revealed what was in me. 
And I had to decide, am I going to allow God to change me, or am I going to stay where I'm at? The same is true with suffering. We can stay where we're at, and it reveals what's in us, and we get to decide, God, what are you going to do with this? Am I just going to keep living this way? Or, Lord, can you actually change me? That takes a miracle, and it takes a time, and it takes process to get there. It's not overnight. This is such a journey. And when we're suffering, to say, God, can you give me a fresh perspective in this? You know, and this is one of the fresh perspectives. Another perspective is that we can gain an eternal viewpoint or an internal perspective. Listen to chapter 4, what it says. And this struck me so hard when I was reading through. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Let me stop there for a second. Arm yourselves with the same attitude. You know, we need to be preparing and training to actually suffer. You know, and, and Trevor and I, we've been talking about this because he listens to all of my stuff before I actually preach. And it's like, realistically, we're in a great season. We're so thankful for what God is doing in our lives. But we recognize it won't always last like this. And so it's like, Holy Spirit, give us an attitude to help us to arm ourselves with the same attitude to suffer. Show us what that looks like. But then he continues on and he says, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human or evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You know, as I was reading this, it's like, I think I've always viewed that as Jesus as the one who has done away with sin, but actually he's talking about us. Because as we suffer, not that we become sinless, but actually as we suffer, it gives us a different perspective. If you've watched people who are suffering and going through things, they aren't concerned about materialism. They're not concerned about this or that or evil desires. They're like, God, can you show up in this situation? They're desperate to know Jesus. You know, one of our friends, his story came to mind as I was preparing, and, and he shared with us his journey out of drug addiction. And God was really speaking to him, and, and it was a deep, dark addiction. And he knew that he had to give it up, but there was even this grieving process of having to give up this addiction. And he shares with Trevor and I, and he says, I would rather go through withdrawals, which were horrific, absolutely painful and agonizing. I'd rather go through withdrawals every single day of my life to know the intimacy of Jesus that I knew at that point than never go through or never know Jesus. You know, he would rather go through withdrawals every single day, that pain, because the intimacy of Jesus was so real. He gained an eternal perspective you know, I've heard of other people. I read this biography, and, and she was diagnosed with cancer, and initially she was so angry and frustrated. She was this amazing Christian woman. Why did she have this diagnosis? But she writes and she shares, as I slowly started to surrender this to Christ and say, even, like, if you heal me, awesome, because God is our healer. But even if you don't, Lord, I praise you. Make me a vessel like we sang tonight. Bring new wine. Help me to be um, an example for other people. And see, what happens when we surrender in our suffering is that peace comes. And we know Jesus in a way that's so much more deeper. 
And I think that's why Paul writes in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power, or yeah, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul knew that through suffering, he'd know Jesus even deeper. Maybe this is a fresh perspective that we need. Is it easy to get there? No. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to do a miracle in our hearts to say, God, please, I'm struggling, but come and change me. Give, lift my eyes above my circumstances to actually see a new pr- perspective and actually respond differently. You know, another perspective is that we get to follow Jesus' example. Listen to what Peter says in chapter 2. He says, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, they did not, or he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. See, I started with chapter 3, verse 15, which says, Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. See, it's easy to live a good and holy life when life is good. But Peter puts this in the middle of this book on suffering. And he says, hey, sometimes we're going to follow Jesus' example. And we're going to suffer. And what was his example? He didn't retaliate. He didn't make threats. He didn't complain. But rather he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And that response in the midst of suffering causes people to take note. And it causes curiosity because when we're suffering and we're living with hope and we're living a holy life, that's when people are like, whoa, what is different? We get to follow Jesus' example. And sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to create that, to give us that fresh perspective in the midst of suffering. Lord, thank you that I get to follow in your footsteps. Help me to follow your example as I go through this suffering. You know, in in Hebrews, it says similar stuff. And this really hit me. Like, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. You know, this is interesting because um, usually when we're going through suffering and we're crying out and we're praying to God and we're saying, God, can you take it from me? And we think he doesn't hear us if he doesn't answer the way we want We think he's not there. We think he's not good. We think he's just not all powerful. But Jesus, the son of God, literally in the garden of Gethsemane, is crying out in pain and agony with tears. And he's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But where does he end? But not my will, but yours be done. And it says in this passage, he was heard because of his reverent submission. See, sometimes God doesn't take us out of our suffering, but sometimes he actually empowers us to suffer. That's like Paul. Paul pleaded with the Lord, can you take this thorn, this this thorn in my side, this thorn in the flesh from me? And what did Jesus respond? My grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't mean that God's not good. It doesn't mean that he's not sovereign. It doesn't mean that he's not caring for us. 
But actually, maybe he's doing something different in us. He continues on, he says, um, he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. You know, in chapter 2 of Hebrews, it also says that he was perfected through suffering. Sometimes we need a perspective change to respond and say, Jesus, thank you that I get to follow in your footsteps. But I don't know if you noticed in these couple passages, and almost every time it talks about Jesus' suffering, it wasn't for his benefit. It was for our benefit. He suffered for the benefit of others. And sometimes I wonder if maybe we suffer for the same reason. Maybe it's not even about us. Maybe it's actually for other people's benefit. You read 2 Corinthians 1, and it says that in our times of trouble, God comforts us so that we can comfort other people. We get to know Jesus in such an intimate way when we go through suffering. When we come before him and we say, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace that's sufficient for me. I need you to come and speak into my life. And when he does, he enables us to comfort other people and to bring hope. See, the way that we get to these new perspectives is by asking the Holy Spirit to create these new perspectives in us. And it comes by clinging to the hope that Jesus gives us that one day... All sins will be eradicated and one day every wrong will be righted and God, the the judge, will actually judge the, the perpetrators and the oppressors and that one day every tear will be wiped away and every pain, and, and there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, that one day we will be with Jesus. And there, this is the hope that anchors us. We need to know once for all that Jesus died and rose again. He conquered sin and death once for all. And that's what gives us a different perspective and this ability to respond differently in the face of suffering. Because here's the difference between Christianity and every other religion or worldview is that Christ, God himself, suffered. He actually entered into our suffering. And he suffered among us, but he gives hope. And when we are suffering today, he enters in and he comforts us. And he he might not take us out of it, but he will give us hope through it. And he will walk with us and he will comfort us and we will know him to a greater degree. See, atheism gives no hope. You know, genocide, we can't even be upset about genocide if we're an atheist. Why? Because it's just the natural progression of the survival of the fittest. But there's something deep within us that screams it's not right. But atheism offers no hope. Hinduism, if you, if you interrupt their, their cycle of karma and actually try to minister to them and um, take them out of their suffering, then you're messing them up. There's no hope in Hinduism. This is the difference that Jesus makes, is that he entered in to our suffering. And he gives us hope for one day that there will be no more suffering. 
You know, when we live like this, when we put Jesus on the throne of our lives and say, not my will, but yours be done, when we die to ourselves, all of a sudden we gain different perspectives and we're able to live above and beyond our circumstances where it causes people to look at us in the midst of our pain and suffering and say, what is different? What hope do you have? And our culture desperately needs hope because they're despairing. There's depression, self-harm, suicide. Our kids need to see people who rise up and actually live with hope in the midst of their suffering. That's us. Does it feel good? No. But I've been so challenged by this book that it needs to be talked about. I've been so challenged by conversations that I've been having where people are doubting God's goodness and his sovereignty because of their circumstances. And I'm thinking... We need a fresh perspective. We need to get back to the word. And so tonight, I don't know what you guys are going through. You know, Job, he asked God. He didn't get answers. But what he got was an encounter. You might not ever know the reason why you suffer. You might not know what happens because of your suffering. But you can have an encounter with God. And that makes all the difference. That's what we needed. And so maybe tonight you guys need an encounter with God again. Maybe you need him to to develop a new perspective to give you hope in the midst of your suffering. Because it's imperative that we have this, that we live it out so that a world, a dying and desperate, hopeless world can see there is hope for today. So if you want to stand with me, I want to pray with you. And I just want to encourage, maybe there's some of you here tonight that actually don't know Jesus and the hope that he gives. And maybe you want to start a relationship with him because he died for you. He loves you. He, he rose again for you and he has plans and dreams for you. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus tonight, I'd encourage you to raise your hand. And I just want to pray with you this evening. If there's anybody here. Awesome. And you just start off by confessing your sin and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for all of my wrongs. Thank you for dying on the cross. I ask that you would come into my life and be Lord and help me to live for you. Amen. And for the rest of you, maybe you're actually going through pain and suffering tonight and you want a fresh perspective. If that's you this evening, I want to pray anointing on you and I want to pray that God would strengthen you that his grace would be sufficient if you need prayer this evening for what you're going through I'd ask you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you awesome oh, yeah. Jesus we just come before you and God I I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight Holy Spirit, that you would empower them and encourage them, that you would lift their heads beyond their circumstances tonight to live with such a fresh perspective, a new perspective, Jesus, that we get to follow in your footsteps, that you are growing and maturing us, that you are, God, that you would give eternal perspective, and Lord, that we would be able to turn around after the suffering to comfort those who come before behind us. Lord God, I just pray that our culture would be in awe of how we respond to suffering, 
And that they would be so curious and that they would ask, what's the hope that you have? And that we would be able to say, our God is good. Our God has been with us. His grace is sufficient for me. He loves me. And I know that one day all wrongs will be righted. Jesus, that we would be able to declare your goodness with such conviction and and truth. So Father, we love you. We thank you that you enter into our suffering with us and that you comfort us. Lord, tonight may we encounter you in a fresh way. May we walk in that tomorrow, the rest of the week, and the rest of our lives. Jesus, be glorified now in us. In your precious name, amen. Go in peace and live with a new hope and fresh perspective. Amen.